In the fall each year we all congregate The bound all gathered at the church of Pilgrim The scriptures reading from the book of Monson Our favorite verse, my God of precious Drunk and obnoxious, what Georgia faith Ain't nothing finer in the land Now the 3,000 of our best friends It's Saturday in that thing Welcome to the Saturday Nathans Podcast. We're a Georgia Bulldogs show. I'm your host, Seth Saunders, joined as always by my co-host, James Kim. Well, brother, we finally made it. Fall camp has arrived. College football is on the horizon. Thank the good Lord. <laughs> Thank the good Lord. It is here. The dog days of summer are here. It is severely hot here in Virginia. I'm sure you're dying down in South Carolina too. I can't imagine what the poor boys down in Georgia are going through. So, but I mean, it's, it's good for them. It, it, it's a good heat. So, but the pads are popping and we're so close to the season. I cannot wait. So close brother. Uh, remind me as we go through the show to bring up something about the heat. Cause Kirby said something about it in his first press conference at fall camp that I thought was really interesting. But uh, yeah, man, we're almost here. We're going to talk about a lot of things today. I think we have to talk about realignment with everything that's happened. Just I uh, feel like the whole college football world's getting turned upside down. We'll talk about the Sanford Stadium renovations and the new changes for uh, the season this year as it pertains to the viewing experience and everything that's going to go on with that, the game day experience. A lot of controversy around that, especially on the, uh, the internet's this week. Uh, and then we're going to talk a little bit about fall camp, about things we are looking for as we progress towards the season. I think they've got something like 27 practice periods, if I'm remembering that right, until we get to kick off against UT Martin. So uh, we'll talk about all that and some of the stuff that Kirby said during his presser. Um, going to start this just by saying thank you to everybody that's listening. Uh, if you are listening, please subscribe to the show. If you haven't already, please share it with your friends and family. Uh, go follow us on social media. We're always active on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We're even for two old farts. We're, we're on the TikTok too. So uh, we're all over the place. And uh, we're going to be better this year too about posting each of our episodes where we're capturing video content on YouTube. So if you like things better in video form, we'll post it on there too. Lots of different ways for y'all to keep up with our content. Uh, we are about to start year two of the Saturday in Athens Pick'em Contest. Have some new sponsors on tap this year that we're really excited about. Have some folks that are already signed up uh, that were in the league last year. We'll start pushing that out soon as well. So if you want to get signed up for that, we would love to have you. Come pick 10 games with us each week against the spread. Win some prizes weekly. Win some prizes at the end of the year. And if you're lucky, you can be like our boy Joey Thomas or, or Travis Denon and go home with a big old fancy title belt, the 10 pounds of red. So, uh, so yeah, that's what, uh, that's what we got shooting. Um, let's kick it off, brother. We got to talk realignment. I mean, <laughs> it seems like the college football world is continually spinning off its axis. Uh, I, from everything I can gather, it, it's official now that Arizona, Arizona State are headed to the Big 12. And Utah. Utah has announced too. That's right. That's right. So the Big 12 is, is completely different now. They have a, uh, I'm going to tell you too, man, you look at the graphic of that conference. Tell me they're not a better football conference now than they were two years ago with Oklahoma and Texas. I think they are. Top to bottom, I mean, by far, yeah. Yes, 
I mean, that's what I think. I mean, look, Arizona stinks, but and let me tell you this: they are a much better basketball conference. Yes, they are. That is the cream of the crop basketball conference in America. You put you got Arizona, Kansas, UConn's in now too. Is that right? They added UConn. No, they're talking about adding UConn. They, yeah, they're talking about adding UConn for basketball. Yeah, man, it's that conference is 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 getting to be stout from a. I mean, it already has been from a basketball perspective, but it is, I think, a much fuller football conference given the top to bottom scope of it now. And what what in the hell is the Pac-10, Pac-12, whatever the hell they have been the last few? What are, what are they doing? What's what's their leadership group doing? I mean, how can you, after you lose two of your biggest brands, you know, rally the troops and put something as ironclad in place to keep the conference together? I mean, everything I've read is they're hemming and hawing because they were trying to do some streaming deal with Apple TV and all this kind of stuff. Like, I mean... That's where we're at. Pac-12 got to get streamed on Apple TV for people to see. Like, what is their leadership doing, man? Clearly nothing. Yeah. I know that this is because it's a done deal now with um, Oregon and Washington going to the Big Ten. But from the deal that Oregon and Washington are getting from the Big Ten, they're getting $30 million, Yeah. Which is yeah. half of what the other schools get. Yeah. If I remember correctly. For the first like two to three years, it's like a graduated ramp. Well, it'll go up a million a year is what it said for the for the rest of this TV deal, which is half of what every other school is getting. But that's still more money than they would have gotten out of the new TV deal that the Pac-12 was trying to trying to do. Correct. A lot more money. I think they were getting 23 and a half. 23 and a half per school is what they were getting, which is peanuts. I also read that... A lot of the schools, because they were counting on not not the big money schools like Oregon, because they're backed by Nike, but the other schools like Washington State, Oregon State, mm-hmm. maybe even Washington, were starting to were borrowing money to fund their programs because they were trying they were counting on this new TV deal that wasn't coming to fruition. Yep. So at the end, this all boils down to money. Yep. The biggest issue I have with this is that. Everybody's looking at this from strictly a football perspective, football and somewhat basketball. But Eli Drinkwitz said it best. Did you see his press conference? I think it was, it was either yesterday or today. Yes. I thought, uh, I thought his was good. I thought the stuff Dion said was right on the money. None of this had, nobody's taken into consideration what this is going to do to the student athlete for volleyball, softball, baseball track when they have to go cross country midweek and then have to fly back, you know, through, you know, all time zones. And yep. You know, I mean, they're, they, and then these, those schools, those, those sports usually have to broker their own NIL deals unless they're the cream of the crop player. Yeah. So it's just, I don't know, man. I, I, you know, we're traditionalist. Yeah. So, it's killing the tradition of college football. We love college football. We love college sports. But my biggest issue is more along the lines of, you know, I have I have kids. Yeah. And not necessarily kids that are going to play college sports, but I just think about my kids wanting to go to college and like wanting to, you know, go see their favorite teams play and they want to go see their favorite team play a mid mid game midweek game. They're not going to be able to go cross country because they got to get up and go to class the next day. Yeah. Like, that's just asinine. Yeah, I I don't love it, man. I mean, I'm, 
I've tweeted a couple times this week. I, I loathe it. I loathe all of it. I, I think one of the best things about college sports is the regionalism and the rivalries that sprout up because of that. I mean, are we fixing now to live in a world where we're not playing the Apple Cup anymore? I mean, we've 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 lost Bedlam. That's not going to get played anymore. Haven't played. I guess we'll start playing Texas Texas A and M again, but we lost that for almost a decade. We're not going to lose the Civil, Civil War. War. No, no more Oregon Oregon State. I mean, I just. I hate all that, man. I just, just hate it. it we, we already don't have the border war. We're not playing KU Mizzou anymore, which, and this is one of those things too, man. Like if you, if you don't follow these conferences or you're not crazy about college sports like we are, maybe it's not that big of a deal, but like, dude, we're talking decades and in some cases a century of rivalries between these schools. And then like, we're just, we're just not gonna do it anymore. I just, man, I don't like that. And I get it. Look, I've had this conversation too. I'm not naive. It's about the money, okay? It's always about the money. And it's like Dion said, everybody's trying to get their bag, yet we're fussing at these kids about trying to get their bag. And he's right. I mean, I, the people wringing their hands about NIL, but in the same breath are talking about conference expansion and realignment, it, I just would prefer to smack you upside the head because it drives me nuts. Like, it, I, I don't like any of it, man. I, I really don't. And I'm even, I'm, I'm the same way with the SEC. I don't love that OU and Texas are in the SEC. I mean, I get it, and I think it was a brilliant move by Greg Sankey to add them, given the landscape that's happening. And it's what you have to do to maintain your position of power and your big TV deal and your big revenue share. I, I get all that, man. But what I'm saying is, is that, is this what we want? Like, essentially, and tons of people have said this, I'm not saying anything novel by bringing this up, but eventually, man, we're just going to have the AFC and the NFC. In the mi yeah. minor leagues, quote unquote. I mean that that's essentially what we're gonna have. And like I don't know, it's it's stupid. Just to bring some levity to it, I sent you a tweet last night, which I think won the internet for the entire week, and it was from yeah. uh, Reddit college football that said it took two decades, but we now have incontrovertible evidence that Biggie killed Pac. Yep. <laughs> which was just a world class tweet. Um I saw somebody had tweeted out, hey, I've got an idea. Oregon State, Oregon, Washington, Washington State can all join the Big Ten. Then they can split the Big Ten into a Western division and an Eastern division, and each division champion can play each other in the championship game, and we'll call it the Rose Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's spectacular. So yeah, it's uh that that made me chuckle too because it's like yeah we're kind of overthinking it here. But to your point, man, the travel thing is what I can't wrap my brain around. Even if we're just talking in the vacuum of football, all right. I read an article in the Athletic this week that was talking about Penn State and what the travel considerations will look like when Penn State goes to USC or goes to UCLA. And guess who they interviewed for the for the article? The equipment guys, because. How are we going to get all the equipment out to Los Angeles? Usually what they do is, homie, they load it up on a tractor trailer. And the truck leaves like three days before the team leaves. Well, just from a mileage perspective, it can't work like that, right? So like there's certain equipment they're going to have to have during the practice week that you can't put on the bus if, or the tractor trailer if it's going to leave a week before for this cross-country thing. Well, then you also have the problem of getting it back to State College after the game. So, I don't know, man. I, I can't wrap my brain around what they're going to do with the logistics of it and how it's going to work and how it's going to affect the kids. But to your point, too, did you see that the 
I guess some players from non-revenue sports in the Pac-12 put together letters that they submitted to the conference about what was happening. No. Or maybe, maybe to their college presidents. I think it was – I know there were softball players involved. I think there were some others talking about, like, what are we supposed to do? Like, are we, are we going to go play a three-game series in Rutgers, New York, and then we've got to take finals and all this stuff? And, like, I, I think there's a lot of validity to that. Like, these kids – I don't know, man. It's – it's a whole new world, homie, and, and I don't know how it's going to look and how it's going to function, and here's the other piece of it. What do we do with the playoff now? It's, it's, a different, it's a different set of circumstances than the rules they hammered out, so is it still going to be six highest-ranked teams from – six highest-ranked non-conference champions from conference gets to go or whatever, you know, whatever the setup was? Like, they got to figure all that out. I saw something where two – Two presidents of the conferences have already written to the NCAA, uh, already asking for a, a re redo of the the playoff format. I don't, it didn't say which two, but two of them have already asked for for um, to look at it because it doesn't fit what has been done. Think how long it took the CFP folks to hammer that out to do the iteration they have now, I feel like that was supposed to have been done last summer. And then that took much longer than everybody thought it would. So I don't know, man, I, it's an upside down world. I don't, uh, I, I'm not real happy about it. What's going to, what is more than likely going to end up happening is we're going to end up, I don't even know if we're going to have a power five anymore. Realistically, we're probably going to end up with a power four. Well, who, well, hold on. We haven't even talked about the ACC. We haven't talked about the ACC yet. It depends on what happens with the ACC. Let's let's say the ACC. Let's just let's let's talk about next year. Let's just stick with what's going on for next or to that not 2023-2024. Yeah, yeah. Let's not even think about what's going on with 2025 and beyond cuz yeah. let's just focus on 2024 cuz that's what is going on right now. Let's say the ACC sticks with it because from what I understand both the schools that are really seem to want to get out are Clemson and FSU. And to get out of that grant of rights, it's going to cost them a huge chunk of money. They seem to be willing to pay it to get out of it, but that's what they say. But I'm not sure if they're really going to like, I'm hearing upwards of a hundred million dollars each to get out of it. Well, dude, did you, did you hear what has come out about FSU's position on it? Since, uh, has it changed since yesterday? Their board is now talking about having com- conversations with um, private investment firms and equity investors to raise private capital to buy it out. Oh, my God. Because somebody quote tweeted the tweet and said they should talk to the Saudis. <laughs> like uh, like live golf. So, yeah, I, I don't know, man. You can't tell me, too, that Clemson's got that kind of money. I mean, I know FSU's at the hilts like that. They got, they got a lot of money. But Clemson going to pay that buyout too? No. Here's the other piece of that. If you're North Carolina, and North Carolina's, I think, president came out and said, I can't remember if it was president or athletic director, came out and said that FSU should keep things in-house and keep it on team. And I think they're saying that because, dude, if, I, if you're Carolina, I'd be a little nervous because I'd want to go somewhere too if I was them. I think we're a preeminent brand if I'm Carolina. We got probably, I would say, top four basketball brands in the country, maybe top three. Probably top three. Yeah. When you think Carolina, Kentucky, Kansas are your top three college basketball brands. Duke right there with them for sure. Yeah. But I think those got to be tops. Carolina kind of get left out in the wind. And so here, here's the other question then. Given that ACC conversation, what is Greg Sankey in the SEC's next move? I know he got asked 
his response was, we're focused on the 16 that we have now and we feel great about our conference. But at some point, do they go, we want to expand the footprint because we want to have the same market share and have the same TV negotiability that we would have with those things. And I guess that, that's another follow-up question for you. Does all this change after those two media deals are, are fully negotiated in wet ink on the paper where there's less urgency to keep adding? I think that everything as far as realignment will be done or should for the most part be done once those TV deals are done. Once the, once the ink is dry on that, because I think once that's done, you're the conferences aren't going to be looking to add. There's going to be teams wanting to get into the conference to get that piece of the pie. Mm -hmm. But then what's the, what's the benefit for the conference at that point? They've already got the deal. Yeah. Well, and then if you're a member institution, you're going, I don't want a smaller piece of the pie. Exactly. (laughs) Like, yeah. Why, why would, why would I, why would I, as one of the presidents vote this other school in? So I would not be surprised if, it's not even going to be a group of five anymore. It's going to be a group of, it could be a group of 10 at this, this point because they're so, the smaller conferences are going to become what the one AA used to be. Yeah. It's not going to be the FBS and FCS anymore. It's going to be what the one AA used to be. They're going to break off. I mean, they've been talking about it for years that they need to break off and do their own thing. I think they're going to have to. Yeah. It, they could, they might be able to do the, you know, the top ranked group of whatever it becomes gets into the playoff and then everyone else plays for their own championship or whatever, but there's just, it's just not going to be feasible anymore for them to really compete with these super conferences. It's never been really feasible for them to compete as is because it's not a level playing field financially. Yeah. They just don't have the resources. And see, this is where I don't see how you can be an, a realignment advocate while not being an NIL advocate. Because I think the only saving grace in the realignment scenario is the advent of NIL. Because I think absent NIL, Boise State is dead as a concept. What I mean by that is you're not going to have this smaller school, quote unquote, that jumps onto the national scene and has a moment like they had in the Fiesta Bowl and then is a sustainable brand for a decade. It, it wouldn't happen anymore because why would it? There's no TV money there. There's no impetus to go there because they're never going to play in a title. Whereas with NIL, I can offer something. I can offer a kid money or I can offer advancement or playing time or whatever it may be. I think that's where NIL could be really interesting in this whole landscape is I think it could provide some parity that's maybe been missing absent that because the rich seemingly get richer and there's four to six teams we think can actually win it each year. And I don't, I don't think that's wrong. Um, I mean, what do you think about that? Don't you think it now, if I'm Indiana, right? If I get real organized with my NIL, we raise money strategically and put enough facilities in place. I could maybe get some kids to come play in Bloomington that, that wouldn't have played there 10 years ago. Right. Cause I can pay them a little bit. Yeah. So competitively, couldn't that change things a little? It could raise them up. I mean, we're seeing it with KJ Bolden. Yeah, that's true. It could raise them up from where they are, but it's never going to make a school like Indiana or Rutgers or a school like that. It's never going to bring them up to where Ohio State is. Like it would take, they would need sustainability for a decade of NIL to bring them up to where Ohio State is to compete for national titles. 
Like that's the issue with the smaller schools, even in the power conferences. You're going to need NIL to fund teams, competitive teams for minimum a decade because you've been so bad for so long. Well, here's my here's the case study I would use. Okay, I'm going to use an NIL case study in a non-NIL world. Let's talk about the 1980s Miami Hurricanes. Okay. That roster went there and became what it was because they were getting what? P-A-I-D. Okay. Like Miami was not a prevalent football program. Miami was not flush with facilities, but they paid the best and they got the best and they became one of the best programs in college football for two decades. Like, so that's my argument is now that we live in an NIL world, what is keeping Utah State from becoming Miami? What is keeping whoever, right, from becoming Miami in the world that we live in, if you're ambitious about it? Because everyone else can match them. That's the problem. I think that's fair. I think that's the counter, counter argument to that is, well, Georgia's going to have more of a collective than Indiana is, or Alabama's going to have more collective ammunition than Rutgers is going to have. And I think all that may be true. But what I'm saying is I think at least there's an avenue to stay competitive that wasn't there before, where I think this would have been a total blow up to so many schools before. Now, I think if you do it right, you got somewhat of a chance. But you brought up a great point about the whole deal with like the Pac-10 schools that were waiting on the TV money. I sent you that post from Reddit where the guy was a Wazoo grad and was talking about everything that was going to happen and all the things they'd done with the stadium. And now they're probably not going to be able to pay for this different stuff. I think that's the piece where the legs are really going to get cut out from people is not having that TV deal money that you thought you were going to get. So I don't know, dude. I, I think this is one of those things where you really need to breathe in this year <laughs> because it's just, it's going away. Like what we're used to is changing. And I'll embrace it because we love the sport and I'm going to watch. I mean, it's not going to make me not watch and all that type stuff. And I think the product is still going to be awesome. It's just, it's going to feel different than it's felt in the past. So the times are a changing, so to speak. Talk about a year for NCAA football to come back, brother. Well, I mean that they put, yeah. And I mean, it's be crazy. <laughs> they'll probably have to delay it another year just to see all, what all the changes are going to be. They're not even going to be able to put the conferences together, right? Well, I did see that that lawsuit is apparently going to get kicked out, that that brander filed. So, yeah. Yeah, just so you all know, legalities or no legalities, uh, James and I are on team NCAA football to come out as soon as possible. (laughs) So please, everyone, get out of the way. I honestly, at this point, I would could care less if they just put it back to the generic. They don't even have to put the right numbers. Like I just, I wanted, I want a college football game again. It's like they forget that it was like that before, and all we did was go on the internet and download it all, anyways, and it was in the game. So, like, we'll figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> we will make it work. Yeah, we'll. The consumer will make it work. Just give us something. Yeah. So. All right, well, let's talk about something else that's a little controversial. The renovations got released for Sanford State, which they had, everybody knew what they were going to do, but they released the video showing how it was going to function and how it's going to work week one. And look, everything was, nobody would have cared, except they announced that they're putting gate one and gate nine 
directly on Gillis Bridge, and that is going to be the entrance point to the stadium. And thus, the old days of traversing through the bridge on game day are no more. They will shut it down on Friday night and not reopen it again till Sunday. I have an opinion on it. I'm going to ask your opinion first. I think that was one of the greatest parts of Sanford Stadium. The first time I ever went to Sanford Stadium, the first, actually my first look into the stadium came from the bridge. So yeah. just from walking around and like that is an iconic view. And to take that away from people who aren't going to be going to games and on a game day and stuff like that, that just seems so... It just seems it's taken away from part of the game day experience, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I mean, dude, I'll take it a step further. I think it takes away from the game day weekend experience yeah. because if you've ever been to Athens on a game weekend, it, dude, one of the things I always do is I immediately on Friday go to the stadium and I get pictures in the end zone, like from the scoreboard platform. Yeah. Like they're right off of Gillis Bridge. And like there are so many people that go and take pictures together and family pictures and it's a congregation point on game day or on Friday nights or whatever it may be. Not to mention, it's like a main artery point between North and South campus for tailgating and all those type of things. So I don't know, man. I, it, it fired me up a little bit. Like I, I, I don't like it and I will reserve some judgment until I see it firsthand in action. But I don't know, homie. I, I think that was a that was a maybe we could have thought this through a little more type decision. And I guess my other question for you is like, what do you think the motivation on that was? Do you think they were that worried about people standing on Gillis Bridge during the game and watching the game without a ticket and they just wanted to stop that? Like what or do you think the motivations were more straightforward that they thought it would be easier ingress and egress from the stadium being able to have the scoreboard gates open the whole game for people to flow in and out. Like what, what do you think it was? I think it was a little bit of both actually. I, I don't think the biggest concern was people congregating and watching the game. I think that might've been a factor in it, but I think it was mainly, I think it was partly that and partly flow of traffic, but I would think probably mainly flow of traffic was probably the biggest factor. Yeah, that that was the, that was the one thing I could think was ingress egress was they thought it would be a a much simpler mechanism because I feel like people have complained about that for years that getting in and out of the stadium was you know cumbersome. But it's a nightmare. It, it, I mean, m- let's be realistic though. Getting out of any type of event where there's ninety thousand people right. is a nightmare. Right. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, and like I, you know, it's one of those things I had no perspective on it because I am a stay till the very last whistle goes of the game. And then I end up congregating like in the stadium for 10 to 15 minutes after. So it's never something I directly experienced, but yeah, I don't know, man. That's just, I I couldn't put, I couldn't wrap my brain around that one. I don't, I don't, I don't love it. I'll put it that way. And I'm hoping I change my opinion once I experience it, but that may be something that, that they may have to address at a different point. So we'll see. Even if, man, even if you just made it so you left a lane or something open, and maybe you can't do that because the congestion would be too thick, but some way that there was still an artery to move north-south on a game day. Because, dude, like the dog walks right there, which you could kind of go over that or even watch the dog walk from Gillis. Like, I don't know, man. It's a lot. I, I just... A little salty about it. I'm just going to say it. A little salty about it. 
But uh, yeah, I feel like I feel like we're becoming the old guard yeah. at this point. Like everything we've talked about this episode just makes me feel like we're the the old man. Like get off my lawn, you little brats. Well, we are. So we are old. I mean, this is the problem. No, I know we are old, but it's like <laughs> this is the first time in our show for three years that I actually have felt like that. You know, when we're like the the old guys, like complaining about the young the young bucks and what they're doing to our game yeah you know? that's right we're, we're just shaking our hands at the sky that's us now well uh, there's worse things we could be um all right let's yeah talk, that's true let's talk something else let's talk something more joyful let's talk fall camp i want to start with kirby's press conference because i love me a kirby press conference there were multiple um tremendous usages which it felt like football season was back because Kirby was ripping tremendouses like every three sentences, which I love. Tremendous respect, tremendous discipline. Um, so yeah, that made me feel all warm and cozy inside hearing that. I, I got to start with this just because it caught me so off guard because I don't think he brings up anything just by happenstance. How about Cass Jones getting a, a call out in the, in the press conference from Kirby? <laughs> I mean, you're right. He doesn't do anything by, by happenstance. Two reasons that I think he did this. One, to light a f- current fire under the healthy running backs. Yeah. And two, just to really let the media know how dire our running back situation is. Yeah. It's, uh, it's funny, man, because that's not even something I really thought about at the end of the last year. I just figured with what they had coming back and with what they had coming in and with the hope that Andrew Paul be healthy, that they'd be super deep and it'd be no issue. But he brought up something that was interesting to me and and did worry me a little bit with Kenny leaving is he talked about cash and his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. And so I wonder about that, if they're worried about that, if they're worried about being able to utilize that. Because if you think back, even pre-Coach Munkin, back to Coach Bobo's original days as offensive coordinator, Boy, they always had a back to catch out of the backfield. Most most yeah. of the time, multiple backs that could catch out of the backfield. So that's very much something they're going to want to do. And who does that right now? Like, I'm sure Kendall can do it. I'm sure Dejon can do it. Like, I'm sure they can all do it. But who do you feel like would be like Kenny? Where I don't think Kenny had a drop last year. I think on every pass that was thrown to him, he caught it. I thought I saw some stat. Who can you split out? Yeah, that's the that's the main thing. I don't think it's so much who can catch it out of the backfield. It's who is your jack of all trades? Who is yeah. your James Cook? Who is your Sony Michelle? Like who is that guy? I don't th- I don't know if we know that yet. And I think that they were hoping it'd be Andrew, but I don't think he's I, I don't think his knee's ready yet. Well, so I'm, I'm gonna throw another wrinkle on that for you. Is one of the things that concerns me a little bit is without having experience coming back in the running back room, and I think one of the things that always gets undervalued with running backs. Is blocking ability. Yeah. Take it back to the offsides play in the national championship game against Alabama where Stetson hits. When Cook. Exactly. James Cook picks it up. And that's what gives Stetson the time to throw it. And Stetson had a lot of mobility and a lot of ability to extend plays and make off schedule plays. Will Carson be able to do that? We don't know yet. You know? We don't know what that's going to look like. And so providing a pocket, providing protection, having blitz pickups from the backfield, I think it's going to be important. We just don't know what that's going to look like right now. And I think that's got to be, I think, one of the things we look to in this first quarter of the season through September and try to figure out what we're going to be at that position. 
I don't really have a ton of questions at wide receiver. I don't know about you. I don't really have a ton of questions at tight end, really. Maybe if we're going to be able to block as well without Darnell, but I think we'll be fine. Dude, Oscar Delp looks like he's been on the the milk and ground beef diet all summer. Like that boy is oof, like looking large. So I don't, I'm not real worried about that. So I think running back got to be one of those spots where we're going, what are we going to be? What are we going to look like? What What's going to be the thing we hang our hat on at that position? I think it's a big concern also because it's not even an elephant in the room anymore. Kendall can't stay healthy. Yeah. Yeah, he can't. I mean, Kendall's Kendall's one run away from being out for four weeks. And this running back room reminds me a lot of what our running back room looked like in 13 when Gurley and Keith got hurt. Yep. Oh, boy. That got thin real quick. Yeah. It just, it, there's not a lot of depth. We don't know when Branson's coming back. If Branson was healthy, I'd feel a little bit better. I wouldn't feel great, but I would feel better. It's just, it's very thin. Yeah, but then, then it make you... Doesn't make you a little nervous that he has a foot injury. I, I, foot injuries always, I don't know, man. That, that always makes me nervous about from a longevity of how long the injury is lasting. The other thing to your point about Kendall, too, is I feel like most of Kendall's injuries are soft, soft tissue injuries. So, like, yeah. it's hamstring, a hamstring groin. Or a quad, or it's like, it's like something that doesn't heal quickly and doesn't have to do with getting hit. It's just a I don't know. The body kinetics aren't working right or something. Like something's off to the point where he, he's not a finely tuned machine, which is crazy because he's probably top five dudes on the team from an in shape perspective. I, I don't know. I can't, I can't figure it out to save my life. I mean, if he stays healthy, he's a thousand yard back, I think, but it's a big if, but I, on the injury front, speaking of that, that was one of the takeaways I took from Kirby's press conferences. We're, we're pretty healthy right now. Yeah. Who is it? Smi- Smile. Smile's not practicing. And Branson. And Branson. I think that's it. Yeah, because I think Dan Jackson's back running. I think – who else had injury? Michael Williams had, a, had an injury. Is that right? Off-season injury? Yeah, he's back though. So is uh, Marvin Jones Jr. I think he's back full reps. Yeah, I'm pretty sure going into fall camp, the only two that were that were not are not practicing are Smile and um, Branson. Most importantly, our guy Arian Smith fully healthy. This offense is going to look vastly different than last season's. I feel like this offense is going to look a lot like the offense in the beginning of the season last year when we were just kind of slinging it all over the place, out of necessity, not out of design. Yeah. Well, look, man, they're real shifty at wideout. Yeah. Think about this. You could go, uh, you could go trip set where you got Lad, Arian Smith, and uh, Dominic Lovett all bunched together. I read something yesterday that Rara is still running with the threes. I get the feeling from reading between the Kirby lines that he has not done his homework. That's what it all sounds like to me. Like the stuff Kirby says about Rara, it's like he needs to get on the same page and he needs to do X, Y, and Z. And that just sounds like to me, they don't feel comfortable with him running the offense. Yeah. Which is kind of problematic because I think the intention with Rara was to be the guy who they could throw a fade to from the nine yard line. And he like, yeah, he was going to be the X. He was going to be Marcus basically. Well, so uh, I think that's another one. Somebody nobody's talking about again, who was a very big cog in the offensive wheel last year. Is Marcus. So 
Dude, I think Marcus has the ability to have a very good year this year. Great, strong hands. Had one of my favorite touchdown catches of the year from Stetson in the Tennessee game last year. Yeah. I think he could be a weapon, if again, if he stays healthy. And I think, too, the further he gets removed from that injury at Florida, I think the better he looks. I thought by the end of the year last year, he was becoming a weapon. So that room is stacked, man. Stacked. Dylan Bell? We haven't talked about Dylan Bell. Did you see the pictures of him this week? He looks huge. Dylan, Dylan Bell on the swole diet, too. These boys just, whoo. This will be the, the point in the program, which maybe we should do this once a week, where we just give a shout-out to Scott Sinclair for being <laughs> the best strength coach in the United States of America and not getting nearly enough love. Also, the greatest get-back coach in the country. So that we're is not going to sell you short there, coach. Yep, greatest strength coach, greatest get-back coach. So it's he's a, he's a double whammy. But... Yeah, feel good about that. They're healthy, ready to rock. How do you feel about quarterback position? Do you feel like it's Carson's job no matter what? Or do you feel like they're actually actively still looking at at options there? I feel like it's going to be a quarterback competition probably through the first month of the season. I feel like Carson's QB1 to start the season. Mm -hmm. I I, I don't feel like he's going to have a short leash, but it's not going to surprise me if this is a... uh, Dwan Stetson situation. I that would not surprise me at all. This also would not surprise me if Carson has a rough, you know, half or whatever, a rough game, and Brock comes in, plays great, and earns playing time, kind of as JT Stetson, you know, that South Carolina game type situation. Yeah, like none of that will surprise me at all with this quarterback competition because I just sometimes they look great, sometimes they look both look terrible. Um, they look lost. I just, I don't know what to expect from them at all. They're both supremely talented. I don't know if either one of them can take care of the ball, though, and that's what concerns me. Yeah, and and I, that's what Kirby will have no patience for. He just won't. Um, so I think that'll be the thing that gets anybody pulled quick. The other thing I'm interested in, and, and I think hasn't gotten talked about a lot with the way the schedule sets up, is could there be a better year for the front end of the schedule to be what it is? Because essentially, they're going to get an extra month to figure out what to do at that position to because look hopefully weeks one and week two are both blowouts and they all get some snaps in live situations against guys that aren't wearing red and black jerseys and then you go into south carolina feeling hopefully settled at that because look man i'm gonna tell you something that game is nothing to sneeze at off the top okay they got experience returning at quarterback they're gonna be ready and motivated to play and if we turn the ball over, I'm just that game gives me a little bit of pause, not knowing yet what's going to happen at our quarterback position. I, I think it's a bigger variable than most people are talking about. Like I think people are just like, oh yeah, we'll be fine. But like we are now officially in the post Stetson Bennett era, which to I'm sure many feels crazy to have that conversation. But we're going to figure out real quick how much certain segments of the fan population took Stetson for granted. I think over these last two years. Once we see what happens during the season. And I hope I'm 100% wrong about that. I hope that it's just smooth sailing and Carson's throwing for 350 a game and we're living in high cotton. But we're not going to know until they start playing live football. So I don't know, man. I think you bring up a great point about the turnovers. That's, that's the one I am looking towards the most is who's able to protect the football and who keeps our offense on the field the longest because I thought that's another thing Stetson got good at was not 
not trying to take the Brett Favre shot every time, right? And go deep. Like he started taking the check down or started just tucking it and running and getting five or six when it would have been a four or five yard loss on a sack. And so all that stuff matters, man. It all adds up and kind of compounds. So what are you looking at on defense? That's one thing too, is where do you think defense needs to make its mark? This is the first year that we don't have a superstar on the defensive line mm-hmm. in a couple of years, mm-hmm. but I think there's enough talent to make up for it. So I'm not really overly worried about the defensive line. Mm-hmm. And I think Michael Williams is, has a good shot at being a superstar. Yeah. So I'm really curious to see how the linebacking core shakes out without smile. Who's probably going to miss the first month of the season mm-hmm. because him and JDJ were just a, just a great tandem last year. Yep. So I'm curious to see how that, who fits that, that spot, and I think it's going to be Jalen Walker, yeah, who I too. still feel like is more a better outside linebacker than inside linebacker because um, he's so fast, but you know, they love him at inside. So um, I feel like that's who it's going to be. It's I go back to your baseball analogy. Yep. Who's who's up the middle? Yep. So we got Malachi. Yep. Who's the other safety? Yep. That's 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 where my biggest concern is. I'm not worried about cornerback. I think I'm not worried about star. I they're talking about pulling putting Bullard back there, which moving him from star where he was spectacular last year. If that's where our middle is, A plus. If but if Tyke struggles at star, they're gonna move Bullard back there probably. And then who's the other safety? Do we put Dan Jackson back there? I just wonder too, man, and they could still do this with him at the safety spot, but I feel like one of the things they really fell into a nice rhythm with, especially the back half of the season, was pulling Javon out of that star position up to the line of scrimmage to rush the passer or for run contain and all these type things and kind of using him. And I know the star is a quasi linebacker, the way they use it and all those type things, but I thought he functioned really well in that capacity. And so, yeah, to your point, I I think that's – that's a lot to watch. And I was so glad you brought up my baseball analogy because that's exactly what I was going to talk about is we felt so good about that. I feel like the past two years and I almost asked Kirby this at media days. One of the things I think he's probably one of the more undersold guys that's played for Georgia in the last decade. And that's Chris Smith, man. Yeah. I mean, how many plays did Chris Smith make when it mattered that were just game changing plays in big time moments. And so him not being there, like it's something we, we don't even talk about. Oh, they lost Chris Smith. They talk about everybody else, but not like Chris Smith's gone. That is a gap, ladies and gentlemen. And so do we have guys to fill that? We sure do. Like that roster is stacked, but I'm interested in that, man. The, the defense is going to be compelling. And again, they're going to have some time to ramp up and figure it out. But yeah, we're here, man. Football's back. We're talking football again. We got football in less than 30 calendar days, which is just outstanding. So we will, uh, we will have more content coming. Please let us know if y'all have questions for us, things y'all want us to talk about, things y'all are looking forward to. And, uh, yeah, hop in that pick and pull and pick some games with us this fall. We had a blast last year. So you got anything else, brother, or did we cover it all for this week? I think we've covered everything for the first couple of days of fall camp. As fall camp goes, we'll have plenty more to talk about, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, until then, keep your heads high, folks. The weather's clearing and and the good season is coming. Football's almost here. Until we chat with y'all again, go dogs. Go dogs. Today's Georgia's better now.